I invite you to find a place to kneel wherever you are as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this moment we can come into your house to worship you, to thank you for your blessings, to thank you for sustaining us. God, right now, as a church family and as a community, we lift up those who are hurting in the aftermath of Hurricane Laura, those in Texas, those in Lake Charles and other areas in Louisiana, God. We know what it's like. God, for those who have lost life, we pray that you would comfort them. And Lord, be with those communities as they seek to rebuild their lives. God, we thank you that we can hear you. We thank you that you speak to us clearly as we open your word. Speak to us now is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to confess that one of the places that I really dread going to and trying to navigate are grocery stores. You know, I'm just not good at grocery stores. I can find the basic items that I need, but as far as finding something for a recipe or a cake or a pie or something complex, I get lost in space. So a while back, I was at a grocery store at a different part of town, a store I don't think I'd ever been to before. And I went in there and I'm looking for something. I can't find anything. But as I start kind of navigating my way through this particular maze, looking for my little block of cheese, I see some signs that are a little bit hopeful for me. And the signs simply say, Shortcut. Shortcut with an arrow. And I walked over there, shortcut over here. Now, I still didn't find what I was looking for, but it was good to know in my confusion and my search for the right ingredients that there was a shortcut. Because I like shortcuts, right? Don't, most of us all here like shortcuts. Americans in general, we like shortcuts. Think about it. Most of us can pull out of our phone right now. We have a GPS that recognizes where we are. We can plug in wherever we want to go after the worship service this morning, and it will get us there. How about that for a shortcut? But time out. We're not satisfied with that. We have to have ways, the shortcut of the shortcut, okay? Turn on TV, right? Man, I need to get out of debt. I can help you get out of debt in three easy steps. I've lost, I've gained some weight. I put on what they call the COVID-19 pounds. I can get you ripped fast, get you in shape now. Follow this easy step. Buy the five-minute abdominizer and you will be lean, mean, not too far in between. Shortcuts, we all like shortcuts. But sometimes there are things in life where there are simply no shortcuts. As a matter of fact, most of the things in life that really count, that really matter, take 
self-discipline. It takes a long time. And we've been looking at the last couple of weeks the whole concept of discovering God's will for your life. And a lot of times, I think we've got, we get confused. I know I've got confused for many years until I was delivered. We get confused in thinking that God's will really is some detailed blueprint that he has somewhere in heaven in the archives. And we've got to figure out through interpreting signs what this blueprint is. And if we don't really get on track with that blueprint, we're on plan B, plan C, or plan Q, right? And so a lot of times we have confusion about, is it God's will that I live in this city or that city? Or should I take this job or that job? Should I go to this college or that college? And we, we kind of reduce God's will to the, to the area of guidance. And many times when it comes to guidance, God gives us a lot of freedom. He gives us a lot of freedom to simply choose. And what we have to learn to do with guidance is to make wise decisions. And if God needs to give you a sign or give me a sign or speak to us in some extra special way, God is more than capable of doing that. But most of the time, God doesn't. So we've we've grown to understand, I think, in this series some, I hope that we have, that God's will is really not about guidance. God's will is something bigger, greater, and really more practical than that. So if you want to get practical, okay, again, this is not a shortcut, but today I want to lay out for you 10, 10 things, 10 steps, if you would, that will help all of us discover God's crystal clear will for our lives. Now, gentlemen, don't panic. If I were you, I would be panicking. Ten things, really? I don't have that kind of time. I know, I'm not going to go over time. I promise. And we'll get to those ten things in a little bit. But let's start in the book of Colossians. It's where we've been the last several weeks. Colossians chapter number 1, verses 11 through 14. We have our main man, Paul, who has been praying this prayer for this church that they would discover and grow in the fullness of the will of God. Okay? That's his prayer. That's his prayer for us. That's my prayer for you. That we would begin to understand and grow and live in the fullness of God's will. So meanwhile, back at Paul's prayer, let's start in verse 11. Look at it there. Colossians 1:11 following. Paul says, he prays that we being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Great endurance and patience. If you look at Paul's writing time and time again in almost every single letter he writes, he writes and encourages us to have endurance, to persevere. Why was he so hung up on perseverance and endurance? Because the people he was writing to were undergoing great suffering and persecution. And when the chips are down and when things are tough, we need to endure. We need to persevere. We need to crash through quitting points in our life. So Paul's always encouraging us, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself, man, 
endure, persevere. And the good news is God gives us the power to do that if we can access that power. All right, look look at verse 12. He says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. What Paul is talking about or alluding to in these few verses is what scholars call the new exodus. It's the the new exodus. We know that one of the major themes of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is the exodus of the Israelites who were in slavery in Egypt for 425 years. God rescued them through Moses from the kingdom of darkness, that's Pharaoh, into the kingdom of light, the promised land in Canaan. They were qualified because they were God-chosen people to enter into this new land, this promised land. That's the first exodus. The new exodus and the greater exodus is what God has done for us in Christ. He's telling these group of non-Jewish people, non-Jewish believers, now God's qualified you. Now you're chosen. Now you're qualified. He's moved you from the kingdom of darkness and slavery to sin and darkness to the kingdom of light, his, his son. He's given you a new inheritance. He's given you a greater promised land, which is eternal life now and for forever. And this promise, this new exodus, this liberation is for everyone. That's the good news of the gospel. It's this new exodus. And look at it. It gives us a a new kind of life. It gives us a powerful life that we'll be filled and strengthened with God's power. It gives us a grateful life. Every day I'm going to get up. I'm going to thank God for what he has done for me. I'm going to thank God for the blessings in my life. I'm going to thank him until my thanker runs out. And it also gives us a purposeful life. We now have the opportunity to share what God's done in our life, to tell others this great and glorious news. So, When it comes to understanding a lot of scripture, we have to understand two words, the indicative and the imperative. The indicative and the imperative are are certain moods in the Greek language. And throughout the New Testament, you see these writers talking about the indicative and the imperative. The indicative declares something that has been done. God has rescued you through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has done that. Jesus said, it is finished. Because of that, you can be forgiven. You can be renewed. You can have a new heart, a new life, a new purpose. You can enter into a new way of living. You can discover God's will for your life. All because of what God has done for us through Christ. And that is grace. We receive that We come to God humbly and empty-handed, and God does that in our life. That's the indicative. We see that time and time again in in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Romans, because God has done all these wonderful things for you, his amazing grace. Therefore, 
live in this new way. Live a new kind of life. You have a new power. You have a new hope. You have a new family, the church, the body of Christ. That's the indicative, the imperative. Now go live this life out. So God's will for our lives is not so much about geography, where we live, what city we live in, what country we live in. It's not so much about our occupation, whether we are a teacher or a coach or a lawyer or a preacher. It's not so much about relationships, whether you're single or whether you're married or somewhere in between. God cares about those decisions, but I can do God's will, you can, anywhere, anytime, any place. So God's will for our lives is a way of life. It's a way of life. In the book of Acts, they called the first followers of Christ followers of the way. The way. So what is this way that we live out? What, is, what are the imperatives that we need to do how we organize our lives and live our lives? Let's turn to the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 2. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2 says, Then God issued this edict. He said, I am Jehovah your God who liberated you from slavery in Egypt. That's the indicative. I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I am the God by my grace and by my power. I have delivered you from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And then he goes out and he lists the imperative. Number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, thou shalt not make a graven image. Number three, you should not use the Lord your God in vain. Number four, you should uh, practice the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, you should honor your parents. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The Ten Commandments. The original old school. It's what God wrote in stone thousands and thousands of years years ago, but they're still apply to you and me today. And if we want to know God's will for our life, wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're doing, we can always go back to the big ten, the Ten Commandments, and ask, my, and ask yourself, am I living these words out? Now, it's important, a little side note here, to understand that when we look at the Bible, especially when we look at the law, there are three types of laws in the Old Testament, uses of law. You hear people on TV, uh, comedians and other idiots talk about, oh, the Bible says you can't eat bacon, you can't wear polyester with cotton, and you got to kill somebody if they trip their foot on a stone. Oh, how stupid is that? You're an idiot. You're an idiot. They know zero about hermeneutics and how to interpret the Bible and how we've been interpreting it for 4,000 years now. So in the Old Testament, you have the ceremonial law, 
okay, which was a law that God gave Israel on how they are to organize and live their lives, okay, in the sacrificial system. Then you have the civil law. These are the civil laws for the nation of Israel during the time of the Davidic kingdom, kingdom, etc. And then you have the moral law, which are summarized in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. Ceremonial law, beep, 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 no more, okay? That's gone, okay? Civil law, no more. That was from a time that existed thousands of years ago. The moral law, still in effect, still in effect, okay? So when someone throws that at you at work or at dinner with your family and Thanksgiving because somebody in your family's been to college, they heard that, just kind of tell them that. Say, hey, listen, you need to study hermeneutics a little bit. That's the science of interpretation. There are three uses of the law. Ceremonial, civil, moral. Ceremonial, civil, gone. Moral, still there. Okay. That was a side note. That was free. Let's get back to the Ten Commandments, right? Let's look at them not so much as thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, though it's fine to do that. Let's look at what the Ten Commandments are affirming to us and to, to, uh, to you and to me. Now again, I am not declared acceptable in God's sight because I am going to follow the Ten Commandments. You can never, you must always have the indicative what God has done, His grace, then followed by the imperative. The imperatives do not earn the indicative. Does that, does that make sense? We're saved by grace through faith, period. Christ alone, faith alone. But in light of that, I want to live out these 10 affirmations. What are they? Number one, worship God alone. Worship God alone. That's the first commandment. God is a unique God. He is the only God. And we're to worship him alone. We're to make worship a priority. So, all of us here that are gathered in this worship center, those who are watching, you've said, hey, I'm going to prioritize it this day and make it known that I'm worshiping him. So check the box on number one. Number two is make God the center of your life. That, that's the affirmation. The commandment says, Thou shalt not make a graven image or idols. And, and we get confused when we think of an idol. We think of some remote place, some ancient tribe that has some kind of tiki or statue they worship. That's not what an idol is. An idol is anything that you and I put at the center of our life other than God. We can put something good, a good gift from God at the center of our life. And that will not hold. We can put our family at the center. We can put our kids at the center of our life. Love family, love kids, but they're not meant to be the center. The center will not hold. Only God is the center of our life. John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol-making factory. We all have this propensity because we're all broken and all fallen and all sinful to make idols out of people, out of things. And God is constantly reminding us, me, you can't do that. These idols, no matter if they're good things, will simply not deliver the goods. So affirmation two, 
is to keep God at the center of your life. Affirmation number three is respect God's name. That means we don't use God's name casually or lightly, or we don't use God's name, Christ's name, as a curse word. We don't use God's name flippantly in joking and coarse language. God's name is holy, holy, holy. Number four, take a day off. Take a day off. Shut it down. Turn off the technology. Turn off the cell phone, computer, the iPad, the laptop, the emails. Turn it off. Sabbath, the rest. God created certain rhythms in our life. Our heartbeat has a rhythm. Life has a rhythm. Nature has a rhythm. The rhythm is six and one. Six days we work, one day we rest. Six, one, six, one, six, one. It's a rhythm God's created for us. Live in that rhythm. The Sabbath. Number five, honor your mom and dad. Honor your parents, which is really a way of saying, We honor authority and respect authority. Number six, respect human life. Human life is valuable and precious in the sight of God. We are not to murder. Number seven, be faithful. Be faithful to your spouse. Keep your body pure as a sacrifice unto God. Number eight, respect other people's property. That means we don't steal. I guess that applies to countries too, but anyway, we don't steal. We don't steal stuff from others. So the antidote for that, respecting other people's property is, as Paul says, we work hard. If you don't work, you don't eat. Has something on my bedside table my wife gave me. It says, stay humble, work hard. I like that. Stay humble, work hard. And you won't want to steal. Number nine, tell the truth. Become a truth teller. Jesus said, you shall know the truth And the truth shall make you free. How do you get free of anything in your life? You feel like you've fallen back into slavery in Egypt. How do you get free from that thing that is holding you down? You start walking in the light and start confessing the truth. Tell the truth. Live in the light of God's truth. And it brings freedom in our life. Number 10. It's very difficult to do here in our consumeristic society. But it's still there. Number 10. Practice contentment. Or as 
It was phrased in Exodus 20, do not covet, thou shalt not covet. That means you don't want other people's stuff, okay? And that's kind of difficult because almost the entire PR industry is built upon making you and I want to covet other people's stuff, right? (laughs) I wish I had their hair. I wish I had their looks and I wish I had their athleticism and their physique, right? I wish I had that car. That would really make me happy. I wish I lived in that neighborhood. I wish I had that job and that title and that power. I wish I could sing like they did. I wish I, you know, and covet, 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 desire something that's not yours. It's all around us. So we learned this in Philippians 4 when we were going through that. Hey, Paul says, here's the secret of contentment. Whether you have a lot of stuff or whether you have little stuff or somewhere in between, be thankful to God for what you have. Allow Christ to be the center of your life and he will give you the strength. So we learn to practice contentment. Maybe you're thinking, well, where's the love, man? Where is the love? I thought it's all about the love. That is all about the love. That's all about the love. Look at the Big Ten. The first four shows us how we are to love God. The remaining six are about how we love each other. It's all about the love. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love God with everything you got? Follow the first four commandments. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Follow the remaining six. These big 10 commandments, guidelines, steps will make you and it will break you in your life. No one has ever obeyed them perfectly except one. No one has ever done that. They show us how we are to live, and they show us how far we miss the mark. And are in constant need of God's grace, the indicative, his power, to help us to begin to live an obedient life. So so we obey God. We follow the Ten Commandments. We seek to follow the Sermon on the Mount, not in order to be accepted and saved, but because we already are saved. We're thankful people. We're thankful people who want to practice obedience. Frederick Nietzsche, he's probably rolling in his grave that he's been used in so many sermons here, but so be it. Nietzsche had a great quote. He said, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. And there thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something that has made life worth living. Like that. A long obedience in the same direction. Not a perfect obedience, but a faithful obedience. As we are seeking to follow God and live out this way of life that is encapsulated in the Big Ten. I remember years ago, I was talking to my therapist, and he was saying this to me. He said, Ben, listen, 
you've got to take the long view. You've got to take the long view, he said. Life is long, not short. Now again, I know him. I know he knows James. Life is a vapor. It's a puff. I get all that. He knows that. But what is he saying? It's that when you're going through tough times, difficult times, you're seeking to persevere and endure, you have to take the long view. Life is long, not short. If you're a parent and you're worried about your kids or you're you're a grandparent, you're worried about your grandkids, listen, you have to take the long view. If things are confusing and you're worrying, how am I going to figure these things out at work and the so-called new normal? How am I going to do that? Listen, you got to stay focused and take that long view. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a thankful obedience. Hashtag thankful obedience. That's, that's who we are. So, let's keep drilling down here. How do we make it practical? How do, how do we practically start engaging the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten again? How, how do we do that if we're wanting to live this God's will as a way of life? Well, I can remember back in the, the 70s, uh, there was a great TV commercial. And I've made this argument before. I think I've proved it. The 70s may have been the greatest decade in the history of our country and of mankind. There's not been any good music since 1979. It stopped. In 79, it stopped. Dad, you just don't understand. I know I don't. I'm just, you know. So 70s also had great catchy little commercial jingles, right? Remember the jingles? Little slogans, right? Now all, all, all today the commercials are these crazy goofy stories and at the end of some esoteric story about a giraffe and a platypus, buy insurance from us. What? You know, anyway. Getting off track here. Okay. Back in the day, there was a commercial for a vitamin company. They were called One-A-Day Vitamins. Just take one a day. I like that. That's simple. I can hang with that. One a day. So as we're seeking to engage in the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, I want to encourage you to take one a day. Just take one a day. Go to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Take tomorrow's Monday, okay? Monday, go to commandment one. Am I worshiping God alone? Have I put other gods before him? And really pray about and meditate. And God, how do I apply number one? And then Tuesday, go to number two, idols. Uh, Is there something else or someone else I put at the center of my life? And for Tuesday morning or that day Tuesday, we, we do number two. And then Wednesday, we go on to commandment three, taking and respecting God's name. Thursday, four, Sabbath, you get it. So if we do one a day for 10 days, we'll go and work our way through the Big Ten. Meditating on it, praying it through, and then obviously through God's grace and through God's power, putting them into action. A long obedience in the same direction. There are no shortcuts. 
They're only God's way of dealing with us in our life. So let's go live that life. And may God strengthen you with his power and give you great endurance. And may you be overflowing with thanksgiving. Thanking the one who has rescued you and brought you into this new way of life.